Welcome, welcome everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We have the two most popular guests that we've had on our show on together. Brandon Narado of TPH Hockey and Adam Nicholas of Stride Envy Hockey. So uh, really, really cool conversation that we had with them. We got deep into some serious stuff, some psychological stuff. I'm um, talking about some fun stuff uh, with those guys. But before we do get to Adam and Brandon, let's bring on the talent of the podcast, Jeff Lavecchio. Jeff, what's going on today? You're right, Toe. We got real deep <laughs> into those conversations. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> I'm doing fantastic, buddy. Had a great morning. The boys were crushing it in the gym this morning. Pretty excited. Got one of my pros back in town. Excited to see him. No, two of my pros came back in town yesterday. So pretty, uh, pretty fun time for me. Nice. Like with those and pros. and I murdered a protein shake as we started this call. Good job. Yes. Oh, great, great murdering. Good job, Jeffrey. <laughs> Uh, let me ask you a question. Like the pro guys, they want to get into it right away, huh? Like they just oh, had long it. seasons, but like, how does, how, how do you do that with those guys? That's a great question. Um, it's a case by case basis. Some guys are like junkyard dogs and they want to get in immediately. And I tell them all, all the pro guys, I pretty much say like one and a half to two weeks. Um, that being said, after that second week or some, some of the guys who are like, I need to do something in the second week, I'll have them do, uh, you know, a three day a week, full, full body, body weight, uh, prehab, just come in get moving. They're going to get a little bit of soreness out. Just one set of 12 of everything body weight and, and get back to like the routine of getting in the gym, warming up, doing their prehab, going through that and then doing coordination drills and then kind of just like a super light day. So that's the, the second week out of the season for some guys or what I call zero week with my guys. Cause I don't even count that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah it's just interesting, right? Like these guys, they, it, it's a grind. I mean, the pro season is an absolute grind that just your body, it just breaks it down so much. And the fact that they want to get back into it, you know, a week or two right after they're done. I mean, that's, that's pretty impressive. Oh, totally. But I mean, the biggest thing though, is that it also depends on what league you're in on how bad the grind is. That's true. Like if you're in, if you're in the American league, that is a terrible grind. You were on the bus all the time. Like people are always like, what's the difference you think between the NHL and the AHL? And it's like, it's so much easier to be prepared to play the game in the NHL. Not just like talking about what you do on the ice, but preparing to be your best is so much easier when you're flying everywhere one or two days before or one day before you're flying home immediately sleeping in your bed. Like it is so much easier. And when I played in the American League, we played 16 three and threes one year, which means three games back to back to back. <laughs> 16 of those. So we played an 82 oh. game season and uh, Cornell guy, 16 times three. Uh, what is that? 48. 48. Yeah. Oh, boom. Roasted. Yes. Uh, um, so where was I? I'm just happy. I just beat you at math. Um, three and threes, uh, three and threes. So we would play like Friday at home. Game was at seven o'clock. You probably get home after you go out to eat or whatever. You're getting home at 12, 1230. 
wake up the next morning, got a bus somewhere, could be three hours, could be six hours, could be four hours, play a game again at seven o'clock because it's a Saturday game. And then you're getting out of there at 11, 10, 30, 11, you bus six hours home. And then we play Sunday at like one or something. So it was a grind. Fast forward to when I'm playing preseason in the show and we're flying there. I had lobster and steak on one of the planes, fresh baked chocolate chip cookies. Like it is a different world. So depends on what league you're in as far as how big of a grind it was on your body. Yeah, that makes uh, makes a lot of sense, man. Makes a lot of sense. But that's still pretty cool because I know some of your guys are, are certainly coast and AHL guys. So the fact that they want to do that, I mean, that's just goes to show you. And it's like investing in yourself, right? They're investing in their, um, their development. If that's what you want to call it, their strength, their, their business. I mean, that's yeah. what it is. They're, so like they're making their money. So they're investing like in that. their business. Yeah. So, all right. We got some stuff to talk about here, even, uh, before we get to, um, you know, our, our call with Brandon and Adam. And first of all, we've been trying to do this call for like two months <laughs> and with the four of us trying to get all on, on, uh, equal playing fields, as far as time is concerned, uh, really, really happy that we were finally able to do that because those two guys, I mean, you know, when we talk to them, we learn a lot and, uh, our listeners, certainly in the feedback that they give to us, they're two of our favorites or two of their favorites too so great to get him first of all want to send a congratulations to ryan hardy so also one of the favorite uh one of the most downloaded episodes that we've had uh general manager chicago steel just got named ushl gm of the year so awesome awesome for him Um, and he's a beauty like oh yeah he's one of the best guys i've met in hockey and i've only hung out with him like three three times like didn't even know me other than talking to me on the podcast. We text back and forth every once in a while, shoots me jokes. Like we talk about things. Um, when I went to Chicago, I, with my AAA team, I went and stopped at a game and he toured me around the rink. Like let me meet the boys, let the meet the coaches. Like he is just awesome. And I love the way that he thinks. Yeah. He's an outside the box thinker. It's, um, and he but he's, he should yeah. be the box and people need to get in that box. That's what <laughs> he, sh- he should not be outside the box. That should be the box. And people who are inside the stupid box need to go into Hardy's box. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, in that position too, I mean, one of your biggest assets and strengths has to be personal relationships and the ability to connect with people. And, uh, he's got a gift. He's got a gift of doing that. And he surrounded himself with, with some awesome people as well. And, uh, I think there's a huge reason of, of why he's so successful. So congrats to GM Hardy, uh, for that. Um, moving on, wanted to get to Jeff, you, uh, got involved in a little Twitter war, if that's what you want to call it with, uh, I don't know, somebody on, uh, on Twitter last week. So, um, why don't you kind of explain to the listeners what it was, read the tweets and, and we can, we can get through it. That should be a new segment we have. Read the tweets. <laughs> I like that. Read the tweets like Blades of Steel. <laughs> Blades of Steel. You remember that? Absolutely. I remember yeah. the celebration after goals. That was the best thing. Where uh, they all kind of go around. With the pass. With the pass. <laughs> yes. With the pass. <laughs> Unreal. Anyways, okay, now it's time for a new section we created eight seconds ago called Read the Tweets. Um, so it wasn't even a war. This guy just said something, and I don't know how I saw it, and I was like, that angered me so badly. Uh, at Mully ET 
said there's something very wrong when 21-year-olds are regularly incoming freshmen playing Division II college hockey, throwing away three years of your life to play Division II, question mark. So I retweeted that with saying this guy is – oh, and he was getting roasted. Like hundreds of yeah, people I were roasting him. Yeah. So I was like, you know, I don't like being negative. Like on social media, there's no point. I was like, this guy's getting roasted enough, so I will add to this. You only live once. College will always be there. The opportunity to play junior hockey, which could lead to playing D1, D3, club, or D2 club hockey is gone forever once you age out. Don't look back and wonder if. And for, for me, like – who is this guy to say that? I mean, what if you started playing hockey at 15 and your goal was to play club hockey in college? So, so that guy's throwing away three years of his life? Like, F you, buddy. I mean, you don't know what people's goals are. And, and who are you to tell them that their goals aren't high enough? Like, club hockey, we used to hang out and party with the club hockey team at Western all the time. They were the best guys ever. Like, we had a great time together. They had a great time. They were still playing the sport. It, it wasn't like as intense as D one, obviously, but they still took it seriously, had fun, went on trips. And it also created a network for them that I know they use. I know guys that work with each other that played on the club team now out in the real world, 15 years later. So for me, it's just kind of like, don't judge anyone on what their hockey is. And for me, it's like, I, you know, I got a couple, I got one guy who's six, six, five, six, six that I train. And I've been telling him for years, he's a late bloomer. And I'm like, you know, you can do whatever you want, but like, believe in yourself. Like you're going to have to play every year of your junior eligibility, but D one teams are starting to look at him. Now he's starting to fill out. Like he's starting to learn how to play being that tall. So for me, it's like, well, don't chirp that guy. Like he's going to make it. And you saying he should have just, Oh, if you're not good out of juniors one year, like you need to leave. Nah, I don't like that. Yeah. I, I had, I had two issues with it. One is, like, what's the rush? Like, if you get to college at 21 or 19, like, okay, you're going to live till, let's say, the average is 75 years old. Like, what's what's an extra two years? You know, like, is it that big of a deal? Two extremely fun <laughs> and, and years, and you learn and so much. And that's the thing, too. Like, when you get to college, and I've seen it, people that come in as true freshmen, I mean, they're they're – like so less ready to get to college than the people who have played in juniors, you know, whether it's, even if it's just one year or or two years, you know, like they're just, it's a year of maturing. It's a year of um, growth and development as a, as a person being away from home, learning how to do things for yourself. Um, I mean, and junior hockey too. Like we've had two of your roommates in junior hockey on the podcast you know, like guys that are my, some of my consider my best friends that I played junior hockey with. I mean, it's, it's an unbelievable time. Um, and, and it's great for your development as a person too. It makes a man out of you. I've said it on a previous episode, junior hockey, I really think makes a man out of you. If obviously if you're a man, uh, a boy. Um, so it's just, so that's one thing. And, and, uh, the other thing that I took out of it too, is I feel like it was a little bit of a shot at division three hockey. And I have a serious, serious problem with that because Division Three hockey is really, really good. And, you know, we need to have a Division Three hockey coach. I've talked to Damian DeJulian, uh, who's the head coach at St. Mike's. I went up there and did team building with them, and we're going to get him on the podcast at some point here um, because Division Three hockey is really, really good. Um, when I left uh, coaching at Cornell, um, 
you know, the next year I didn't really have much going on from a hockey standpoint. So there's a school, SUNY Cortland, uh, that's about 30 minutes down the road. So I went up to them. I was like, Hey, do you mind if I volunteer a couple times a week or once a week to come down and, and work with you guys? And I had never seen a division three game before. And I got on the ice with them for practice. And I was like, Holy crap, there was probably four or five division one hockey players on the ice from a skill standpoint. And like Cortland, they're in like last place, <laughs> you know? So like division one, like we make mistakes. Like there's guys that, that slip through the cracks that are playing division three hockey that now are even going on to play pro hockey. And so the fact that they kind of made a diss on D three hockey really aggravated me. Um, because typically a lot of those 20 year old, one year olds are going to play division three, but they're still really, really good hockey players. And division three is really good hockey. Yeah, I mean, totally. You're an idiot if you think Division Threes. I mean, I tell the kids all the time because, and I didn't know this when I was a kid either, but they're like, I'm going D1. Like, I'll never play D3. And I immediately go, You're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I say that. It's probably the only time I'm negative to kids when they just think, like, like a few years ago, I had these kids who were like, Yeah, if you rip up the USHL, you're going to the show. And I almost slapped them. And I was like, <laughs> Buddy. You are literally like 800 levels and steps away from the show when you're in the USHL. Take it easy. And he's like, you, you know, you just, you just don't know as kids. And obviously I was joking around. I wouldn't actually slap him most of the time. Um, but D3 hockey is really good. And there's guys who can't pass a clearinghouse who in D1 and then maybe they slip through the cracks to get to, get to D3, you know? So like – yeah, D3s. I've, I've trained quite a few D3 hockey players in my time as a, as a trainer with my business, and they're all nasty. So, yeah. 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 That's don't, stupid. Don't take shots. And that's the thing, too, is like I didn't – even when I was coaching at Cornell, like um, we would talk to Division three coaches all the time about kids that were maybe on the bubble, right? Like, hey, what do you think about this guy? What do you think about this guy? You know, do you feel like – is he somebody that you would recruit? Yes, no, because we're watching a lot of the same kids and, you know, like the USPHLs and the North American League and the leagues up in Ontario. Um, so, and you see, like, guys at the Division three level that are coaching, like, they work really hard and they do a really good job from a coaching standpoint. And you're seeing a lot more um, guys getting Division one. Um, shots that are coming from Division Three because they they do such a great job at that level. Sean Flanagan, the guy that took uh, my spot at Cornell, you know, he coached at the Division Three level for a couple years at Hobart and did an unbelievable job. Um, part of the reason why he became a coach at Cornell was because you know between Benny and I, we would talk to him all the time and we really trusted his judgment on the recruiting standpoint. So um, yeah, like don't take shots at Division Three hockey. It's it's not right. That hockey is very very good. There's a lot of dedicated people that work at that level um and uh so that was uh, another big issue that i have with the tweet for sure yeah i agree so <laughs> is that is that the sound to move on to the next topic yes it is that means that uh read the tweets is over <laughs> okay um all right and then uh, finally, before we get to, to Brandon and to Adam, I uh, wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the new recruiting rules. So new recruiting rules just got passed for, for men's hockey. Um, so you cannot have recruiting contact with a kid if you are a school until January 1st of their sophomore year. So that means, you know, typically before that, they can contact you or they can go through somebody to contact you. Um, you just can't initiate the contact with them. So there was an end around to it. Now the end around is done. So if the kid is before January 1st of their sophomore year, you cannot have any contact with them 
whether they approach you, whether somebody else on their behalf approaches you, nothing. Um, so that's, that's one of the rules that got changed. And then the other rule that got changed was now as a school, I don't know, this is going to be a little bit tougher to police, um, but you cannot extend a verbal offer to a kid until August 1st going into their junior year. So they're kind of trying to move the timeline back a little bit. Um, what are your thoughts? I like this. I like this a lot. I think by, by the end of your junior year, you can tell if a kid has pretty much has it to play D one. I mean, if they're playing in juniors, I think, you know, it's hard to tell at midgets. I mean, I'm sure for the best, best kids, yes, it's easier to tell, but like even these kids who, who are 15 and 16 and they're sophomores playing U 16 triple a hockey, you're so far away from juniors for some of those kids, not all of them, but some of those kids who are like the quote unquote, like later bloomers. And with that teams just taking the best kids, which are easier to spot, obviously, then they're like, well, the the lower teams are like, well, we got to get the second best kids right away. And then it's just a trickle down theory until maybe you're taking kids who aren't going to actually be good in a few years. So I definitely like that. But like, how are they policing this? Like, is it like, oh, well, Michigan, we know Michigan. I'm not saying Michigan. I shouldn't even say a name because I don't know who's doing what. Michigan, that's fine. Well, I don't even know. But if so-and-so school, (laughs) so-and-so university starts talking to kids, you know, behind the scenes, offering verbals or talking them too young, like, is it just going to be like a fake out pee-pee slap? Or is it going to be like, well, you lose two recruits for such such and such year? Like, what's going to, what are the ramifications? Did they, did they state that? Uh, well, I mean, the consequences, uh, it could be, it's up to the NCAA. Okay. Um, and every, every school has a compliance department that kind of helps to police this kind of thing. But again, the rules are only as good as the people who are going to follow them. So right. we'll, we'll right. see, we'll see how that happens. And, you know, uh, certainly, you know, the reason for the January one of the sophomore year is to deal with the CHL. Um, so again, the, the, the draft for the OHL and the Q, um, and typically the OHL is the one that we, and by we, I mean college hockey typically recruit against the most, but their draft is typically after the sophomore year. So that's why they allow the first contact to be of that sophomore year. So they can educate people on college hockey, you know, before the OHL draft. Um, but you know, playing devil's advocate to the rule, cause some people are kind of saying that it's great in theory, but what does it actually do? Who is it actually giving power to? Um, one of the leagues is uh, actually the WHL because the WHL has a Bantam draft. So now still you can't get to those kids who are eligible for the Bantam draft because you can't talk to them before that, right? So they have their draft before you can even have any contact. So it gives a, a little bit of power to the Western League. Um, but also one of the other ones is agents, Because now what's going to happen and what people are fearing is going to happen is because the schools can't contact these people directly, now they're going to try and use end-arounds agents to communicate with the kids. So they're not breaking the rules, kind of bending them, but not breaking them because they're not having direct contact with them. So now it gives a lot more power to the agents to deal with kids at the younger ages. So that's kind of devil's advocate to the rule. I see you (laughs) shaking your head and rolling your eyes. What, What are your thoughts? Well, I think that you and I should hold a baby in the womb draft. <laughs> let's just, let's just keep moving that bar lower. No, Major because Junior. then Paige Paige isn't getting anywhere. Her mom and dad are five foot one and five foot four. Yeah, so but she's done. But that but, would, she would she wouldn't get anywhere. You're a great athlete. You have a great hockey mind. 
Emma keeps it tight. Like she was, you know, I mean, you, you know, you should have a, she's in good shape. Like you, you guys, I draft, I would draft you strictly on the hockey sense. <laughs> You're welcome. Actually, my daughter. So it's Wednesday that we are talking about this. Uh, Paigey turns two tomorrow. So Woo! yeah, a little Paigey girl turning two. So she does know the happy birthday song. She sings it all the time to everybody on earth. So, um, we're gonna, Steve. yeah, <laughs> Scuba Steve. Yeah. Um, but I, I think, I think there's a good rule. Josh Fenton, Mike Snee. I know Scott Sandlin, who obviously just won the, uh, the national championship with Duluth. They're all on that committee and, and I applaud them for their efforts. I think it's great. I know there's some people that think, you know, it's, it's good in theory and it's not going to really work, but I'm, I, I think it is going to work. I think it's going to hopefully, um, ease the craziness. And, uh, but again, it goes back to it. It's only as good as the people that are going to follow it. So hopefully the colleges are going to abide by that, um, and we'll see. We'll see what happens. And it'll be interesting to see the first time that a kid tweets that they're committed to a school before January 1 of their sophomore year because um, then that's, uh, that's kind of like, well, you're not supposed to have contact before then. It's <laughs> going like to happen. That's like we talked about with, with Snee, you know, that deal. Would you take to your dream school but you can't tell anyone? He's like, he thought a bunch of kids would say no. And I was like, I bet there's a bunch of kids that would say no. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But that actually goes along with another thing. The last thing I want to talk about before um, we get on to, to Adam and Brandon and, you know, we're both actually going down to the college coaches conference next week in Florida. I'm speaking at it and you're going down with gel sticks. Um, so it'll I'll be-, be at the pool wearing, <laughs> man, wearing a mankini holding <laughs> gel sticks. <laughs> Is that good for promotion or bad for promotion? I don't know. If the moms are buying, probably good. <laughs> Ads are, probably not. Uh, got it. So I actually, you know, being down there and this new rule coming out and, uh, you know, I hadn't really paid a ton of attention to like um, the amount of kids that are recruited to certain schools. But I figured with all this stuff going on, I'd just go and I'd take a look because uh, it's been a while since I've done that. And uh, it's really, really crazy to see that the most interesting to see, like there are teams, there's one, two, three, four, five teams that have over 30 kids committed to their school, which is absolutely crazy. Um, but the- so this, so this segment should be called Topher takes a look. <laughs> <laughs> you might have a job doing this. You'd be working yeah. for ESPN one day or something like that. Yeah. It'd be great. Um, but I looked at, and I went through, so Chris Heisenberg has like a Google doc spreadsheet where he tracks like all the kids that commit and where they go and, and when they commit and all that kind of stuff. So I went on the to guy his from Breaking site. Bad. The guy from Breaking Bad breaks us all down. Uh, I have not seen that show. Well, you are dead to me. Continue. <laughs> gotcha. Um, so I went and I kind of like tracked like how many kids are committed to certain schools, right? So as I'm going through and I'm looking at, so this is the most telling stat to when it comes to it, right? So of the 15 schools that have the most kids recruited to their school, only five of them made the NCAA tournament, right? Yeah, it was a... So, I like to me that kind of says like, all right, like, you know, everybody calls it an advantage to recruit all these kids and then, you know, bring the ones that end up being the best to school and kind of cutting ties with the other ones. Well, that's not necessarily the case, right? Only five teams out of the 15 teams that have the most kids recruited made the NCAA tournament. So maybe it's not the kids, you know, it's just, it, it was interesting. That is very interesting. Maybe you're like those kids you're letting go 
now you just motivated the shit out of them and they just want to stomp everything. You know, you gave them perp even more purpose because, you know, somebody else is probably picking up a bunch of those kids. So, yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. Yeah. How, how far back can you look at that? Like, is that like a an oopsie year or like did uh, Mr. Breaking Bad like do that over like <laughs> the last five years? No, it's so, for the kids. It's for the kids that aren't at that school yet. So any okay. kid that's committed to going to that school but is not there yet is on his list. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, geez, like five, you know, five schools, over 30 kids committed. So they're, you know. Ooh. Yeah, that's that's a lot of kids. But it just goes to show you, right, like <laughs> what kind of culture are you creating within your program? You know, if you have this culture of, of cutting kids and bringing kids in and, and – you know, committing to kids and then not following through on your commitments. Like what's that say about your program? Number one. So are you getting the right kids? Cause if I'm a parent or I'm a kid and I'm seeing that going on at certain schools, I'm like, okay, their word. Yeah. That doesn't really mean much. I don't know if I Correct. want to send my kid to that kind of school. So what kind of character kids are going to those schools? Number one, only five made the NCAA tournament out of the 15 that have the most committed kids. Um, and also like, what's that say to your kids in the room? Like, are they walking on eggshells now? You know, because yeah. maybe I'm going to get cut if I don't play very well. Um, they're like, if you're a, a freshman on the team, like they have, we have four seniors that are graduating and there's 15 kids that are, you know, committed to be coming in next year. When obviously that's an exaggeration, but um, it just, I, I, I don't agree with it. The over committing is, is absolutely, it's, you know, it's, it's immoral number one, but now I'm looking at this only five teams, in the NCAA tournament out of the top 15 most committed, is it even smart? Is that even the right thing to do if you want to win hockey games? You know, here's an argument that it's not even, it's, it's dumb. I, yeah, I, I'm all with you, brother. I mean, <laughs> it, it goes to speaking to integrity also. Exactly. I mean, if you commit to a kid, you should commit to them. Like they are verbal, whatever they, they should be with you unless obviously, you know, arrested or you know problems and that they can't get in like those things i totally understand that but that is also why you shouldn't commit to kids until they're older when they're <laughs> about to go in so then you know what you're getting not and we're kind of rolling the dice here jim <laughs> can you say that again and we're kind of rolling the dice here jim <laughs> i don't know why i said jim i have no idea i don't even know a jim jim halpert jim halpert on the mind we're talking about the yeah. office off the air yeah, that is true. That's probably where it, where it came from, deep into my subconscious. <laughs> but it just, you know, I just, it's a, it's a topic of conversation that all college, college coaches have with each other right now. It's driving guys freaking insane. Um, and, uh, but here's some, here's some data. Here's some data to show you, right? Of the top 15 schools out of the most kids committed, only five made the NCAA tournament. So there you go. Um, all right, moving on. Do you, do, what was your sound again? You had a sound or something like that. Uh, I think it was a fart noise. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Just getting more childish as we do. <laughs> I know. God. All right, we're already 25 minutes in, but we should uh, preface this conversation that we have with Brandon and Adam because a little bit different than the ones that we've had in the past. It gets a little bit deeper, um, and I loved it. I think I thought it was awesome, and a lot of the basis for it was, in, and we've been talking on a text chain for a while now about just like how do you get obsessed with something? Right. And what's what's the purpose and why is it a benefit to be obsessed with something? Because uh, all four of us are legitimately obsessed with not only hockey, but of like making an impact. 
like on the hockey community. And uh, so we get really deep into it on kind of like why we each think that we are, what the benefits of it are. And we get into a lot of like pretty deep stuff. So like, what did you think of the conversation? Jeff and Topher get deep. (laughs) (laughs) This is incredible. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Um, I mean, I thought it was, I thought it was awesome. You know, we talk, we've talked with, coaches and strength coaches, Mike Boyle and players about skills and how to do things on the ice and off the ice. And we've also had mental coaches on with uh, Ricky Mendez and Matt Calderoni. And so, you know, I like that we aren't just doing the physical and the skill work and all that stuff. We're working on the mental too. We're trying to help people work on the mental um, and, and just figure out, you know, how did we get this way? Why are we this way? Um, you know, we always say success is a relative term. I think the four of us have been pretty successful with whatever we'd want to do in, in hockey. You know, obviously we all didn't play in the NHL, but we were still able to find success in the game of hockey and different avenues. Um, so yeah, it's just super interesting. And, you know, we've also talked about you and I are very interested in like motivation. How do you motivate people? So maybe people hearing what, what motivated us and what made us, turn us into, you know, kind of like being obsessed with development and helping people, you know, maybe that'll help other people, uh, find their way. Yeah. And the thing that I took out of it too, right. Is like, I feel like every, this is one of the things that I love about what we're doing and, uh, and, and our learning process, even between the two of us and what we learn from the people that we bring on the show is I feel like every episode comes back to resiliency and not being afraid to fail. Like almost every single person that we talk to, talks about how important it is to fail, right? And how important resiliency and adversity and perseverance is to to your development, not even as a hockey player, forget about hockey, just as a human being, because we go through so many ups and downs in in our personal lives um, that it's just, I love the fact that it always comes back to that seemingly in every episode, because I think it's so important. It's the number one thing that I talk about when I do my team building too. And, uh, we talk a lot about our scars and, and, uh, the scars that we have and how it's helped to, to build us to be the people that we, we are today. Um, and why we are the people we are today and why we're so passionate and obsessed with, with what we do. Um, so just a, a huge, huge lesson that I just, I love that it always seems to come back to that on every conversation that we have. Jeff's on mute. Jeff's on mute. Uh, I got butt clapped. All right. Sorry. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it's one of the most important attributes, skills, intangibles you can have not only as a human as someone in a relationship as someone who's trying to be an athlete you're tr- you're going to school like you're going to have ups and downs and you just got to know that every every setback if you look at it the right way and you pivot your the way you think use it as a setup which is what Ricky Mendez said and then what Narado said like five times on this podcast which I loved he kept saying it, and I wanted to point it out but probably Adam just kept talking over me or something um <laughs> Um, is in Narado kept saying, you know, fail forward, fail forward, you know, and that's being able to pivot and look at your quote unquote failures, which, you know, they're not really failures. They're setbacks or they're not setbacks. You're setting yourself up. So like fail for learn from your, you don't, you don't play a good game. You you don't play well. Okay. 
the world's not over. Watch the video, see what you could have done, and learn from it. Fail forward. Make that quote-unquote failure work for you. It made you better. Like just a quick example, I got a buddy here in town who we, you know, we work out at the same gym um, a lot of like late nights because he's working and I'm working, so we'll be there in the same time, and he's a bodybuilder. He was just in his second show, and he crushed his first show last year. This year, he, you know, from the pictures I saw that he showed me, like he looked incredible. He worked his ass off. I saw him there all the time. His diet was on point, all this stuff. And he didn't even get like placed. He didn't even get any recognition. And I just told him like, look, man, you can either like fold up the tent and, and cry about it or go back, like talk to the judges. What do I need to do? What do I need to work on? Like, what did you see? What did they have that I didn't like fail forward, learn from it and make yourself get better instead of sulking, sitting in the corner, crying. That does nothing for anyone. I feel like you have your new tattoo, your next tattoo. Fail forward? Fail I don't want to put forward. fail. I don't want that on my body. <laughs> I, I do like it, but no, I, I don't Not want to fail. Yeah, I, always, I want to be positive all the time. Then when you do fail, you put a positive spin on it. But I don't want to think of failure in my mind. You know what I mean? Gotcha. Then you're attracting it. Gotcha. Okay, cool. All right. Well, we've talked enough here. We've, we're over half an hour between the two of us. So we're hopefully, great, hopefully great good time. stuff. Hopefully good stuff for sure. Um, but love this conversation with Adam and Brandon. And thank you again to everybody who's tuned into the podcast uh, that's liked our stuff, that's shared our stuff, that's given us ratings and reviews on iTunes. Uh, that goes a long way for us. And, and again, we appreciate that feedback, the, the positive and the negative. And anything that you guys want to hear, let us know. And we'll try as best as we can to get people on that uh, – that you want to hear about. And, and like Toph mentioned earlier, we're both going to be at the college hockey coaches thing in, in Naples soon. Um, I'm only there, I think from like Thursday morning until Saturday morning. But, uh, you know, I've had a couple guys already reach out to me and say they want to buy me a beer or a protein shake. <laughs> and I loved that. That made me so happy. And I it was like, yeah, protein shake or water would be great. Um, but, um, yeah, you come up and talk to me, please. And, and same with Toph. Like, I love hearing people's ideas. Like, what do you want to hear about? Like, we do this to try and help the masses. So if you have, a, if you have an idea and it's like, you think it could help a lot of people, please tell us like, yeah, we have a lot of people now who are like, Hey, I'd be a great guest on your podcast. Uh, you know, and, and I'm sure you would be, but like what we'd rather hear is like ideas like, Hey, you know, a lot of people always ask me this question. Yeah. You should talk about this. Cause that just helps us so much more and gives us a lot more ammunition to try and arm the hockey world to be better. Yeah. And do it for Jeff on Instagram. I feel like that gives, uh, gives him some extra energy when he gets some Instagram love. Yeah. Hit those dopamine centers <laughs> in the brain, baby. I hate the, the social fake, media, but it happiness. works, man. It's, it's helping people. So, you know, it's whatever. I, I do love it. When I, when somebody tells me that they learned something from my Instagram, that's the reason I do it. It makes me very happy. Sweet. All right. Without further ado, let's head in on over to Adam Nicholas and Brandon Dorado. We are so excited to have on this episode of the Hockey Think Tank podcast our listeners, two favorite people to listen to. We have Adam Nicholas of Stride Envy Hockey, and we have Brandon Dorado of TPH Hockey on the podcast. Adam, Brandon, Adam, we'll start with you. How are you doing today, man? How many cups of coffee you had this morning? Well, two 32-ounce cold brews down the hatch. No big deal. You know, just absolutely chugging away. And then I got a... 10 minute warm up on the uh, arc trainer today to get my blood flowing for the convo. So we're ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Nar, beat that. 
I, I don't know if I can. I saw a Dunkin' Donuts cold brew commercial the other day, and all I could think about was Adam. <laughs> <laughs> hey, 10 minutes on the I'm art trainer is legit. That's pretty tough, actually. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah, Guys, just 10 minutes, you know. <laughs> getting it tight. Getting it tight for summer. Summer bod. <laughs> you got it. You got it. All right, guys. So we're all busy. We're all busy. The fact that we got the four of us on a call at the same time, we're, uh, we're not going to mess around here. Let's get right into it. And, uh, you know, in a lot of our text conversations and stuff that we've talked about before, you know, I think one of the biggest things that we talk about is just uh, the, the passion that we all have for the game and the passion that we have for the people within the game. And, uh, and kind of like one of the things that we wanted to ask you is, you know, what drives you and what has gotten you, let's call it obsessed because we use that word pretty loosely, but I feel like all four of us are legitimately obsessed with the game of hockey. And uh, so I wanted to kind of ask you guys, like, what is it about your childhood? What is it about your upbringing? What is it about the people that surround you? What is it that has gotten you obsessed with this great game? And, uh, you know, Brandon, why don't we start with you first? Uh, So uh, go ahead. Oh, put me on the spot. Um, I don't know what got me obsessed. Like my dad, my parents didn't come from a hockey background. They never pushed it on me, played different sports growing up. Um, but if I wasn't playing ice hockey, I was playing roller hockey. I was playing street hockey. I was playing mini sticks or NHL Sega Genesis, 1994. Um, just loved being around the game, loved watching the game, loved going to the Red Wings games. Uh, I think passion for coaching probably just comes, um, from having some good coaches growing up, like Todd Johnson was my coach in high school. And I think he was just one of those guys that was detailed at, at that level. And, um, he's a, he's a player's coach, but he held you accountable. So, you know, as I was going through it, you have good coaches, you have coaches that, you know, you may relate to a little bit more than others, but I always wanted to, um, you know, play for a coach that, you know, like Mike, Mike Hastings is probably a good example. Like when you're good, be told you're good. And he wanted you to, you know, keep it going. And he gave you a pat on the back. When you're bad, he was straight up and he told you. Um, I think as a player, that's all you can ask for. So my drive for the game is I just want to be the, whatever I'm doing, whether it's the business side, the hockey side, development. Um, you know, obviously everyone's striving to be the best at what they do. I think a lot of people say that. And then there's others that put it into action. Um, keep surrounding myself with those type of people, people on this call and, I had a good talk with Adam the other day for like an hour and 15 minutes. And I definitely got better after that call. So I'm lucky to, you know, hopefully have a little bit of success in the hockey world and then translate that into building new relationships so that I can, you know, keep staying in front of it. And, you know, if you're, if you're good at something, um, you you know, great at something and good at other things, that's awesome. But, um, you know, you're not going to be the best at everything. So it's, it's great to align yourself with, with people that are great at other things and kind of pick their brains and and just keep educating yourself and getting better. But I think the drive is just from whether it's a 25 year old or or a 15 year old, I I like having an impact in young people's lives. Um, You know, it's, it's, it's not about them getting drafted or making the team. It's, it's, it's the process or the work that goes into that, you know, especially with the kids that have been told no, or they're not, you know, big enough, fast enough, strong enough, um, to help them get there, to develop them and, you know, kind of go against the naysayers and and see them have success and see how that breeds confidence and, you know, future opportunities inside or outside of hockey. I think that's what drives you. It's all about the relationships. Like you you can make millions of dollars or, you know, win a bunch of hockey games, whatever, whatever job title you have, but 
you got to enjoy the process. I, I know it kind of sounds cliche, but if you're not having fun every day, um, you know, why are you doing it? So, and we're all lucky enough to, to, to work in hockey full time. And I think we've also put ourselves in that position. So good for us, but um, yeah, you got to enjoy it every day, man. Got to come with a smile for sure. Love that. Love that. And Adam, how about you? Same question. Yeah, well, mine's a little bit more uh, whirlwind here because, you know, I I come from Maine, which is there's not a lot of, when I was playing, there wasn't a lot of hockey opportunity, right? So I didn't have the access to, you know, Bruins games. I mean, as I told you in the previous podcast, I I lived in a trailer park, really, uh, you know, we didn't have a lot of funds to do any of those uh, extracurricular activities. I think my first Bruins game was uh, my junior year in high school. Uh, And we went uh, with a high school team that, uh, the booster club paid for it. So I didn't have that ability to do that uh, when I was a kid, but it, it stems back my, my passion, my drive. It, it honestly, it's, it's probably, you know, I probably should have saw a psychologist for this, but when I was uh, five years old, uh, I was married and she had a, he had a son and myself and we both played hockey and this kid scores a goal. Uh, at, you know, it's at the Adam level or whatever at five years old. And we go to our, my step grandmother's house and she gives him $10 for scoring. And I look, I was like, geez, like, like 10 bucks. So then the next game I go and score, she gives me nothing. And I was like, all right, forget this. I don't need the money. I'm just going to absolutely score so many goals that I'll turn her broke. That was kind of like my mindset, like five years old. Like, like even if she was to pay me, I, w- I would make her broke because I'm going to score so many. So I became obsessed with just hockey in general because I wanted to prove her wrong. And then I lived in a trailer park. I went to a school that sports weren't really, you know, uh, a priority. And I was very hyperactive. I had to be doing something all the time. And uh, I forget the dare officer. Uh, we had dare in sixth grade. And, and, he, and he basically told me I was going to become a loser because I was hyperactive. It wasn't because I wasn't a good kid. It was just I was hyperactive. I had to be moving all the time. And he's like, you're probably going to become a drug addict. And, and I'm like, no, I'm not. Like, I'm just, I, I just like to move. And the best athlete. Oh yeah. I know. This is a dare officer, by the way, back in the day, like this was crazy. I, my mom was like furious because of it. But anyways, that, that happened. And so I was like, whatever, I'm going to, I'm going to prove you wrong. And so I just developed this prove you wrong mentality at a, such an early age um, that drives me to love what I do. Cause I just love proving people wrong. And I love being able to <clears throat> do what I do now. It just transformed into my mindset who I am now. Like that's how I was as a kid. I also was, when I was growing up, I was a heavy set kid and like, Oh, you never, you never play enough fast enough. I said, screw you. Yeah, I will be. So I ended up being able to run a mile five twenty nine. I just, it's in my head because I did it five minutes, 29 seconds. I became one of the fastest guys on the ice. Uh, you know, and I, I proved everybody wrong. I lived in the gym every day for two hours. And, and that mindset is what's driven me to what I do today, because I know it's possible when you come from nothing, or whoever you are, you come from something that you can always improve, right? Like that's how I was able to, to formulate that. And, you know, as I grew up, I didn't have much of a father figure. So I was always looking for male approval. And so that's, that was my whole thing. And it's, it's, it's crazy to think about, but that's what drives me to be obsessed with what I do today, because I know that I can make a difference and you don't have to, you know, be this kid from a trail park that with no resources that, you know, there are resources out there and that's what I love what I do. And, and even at the highest level, like, I just talked to a bunch of kids uh, that are in the American league with some of their teams. And like, we don't, we don't have the resources. We're not getting developed. Yeah. They have a skills coach, but the skills coach <laughs> isn't qualified enough to, to help this player, these players, I should say, improve. And it's, to me, that's, that's something that uh, again, I like, all right, I'll take on that task. Let's go. I'll make you better. I'll, I'll make you 
uh, I'll help you and guide you to what you need to, to be to get to that next level in your game. And that, that's my mindset. That's why I'm obsessed. So that's my background right there in terms of my obsession. Wow. Love that. Awesome. Yeah. That dare officer needs to be punched in the gut. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, it was, it was honestly like as much as you want to hate that stuff, this is something that I honestly, Jeff, like go ahead and say it, but you have to have the right supporting cast. My mother's a freaking saint, man. Like, you know, she, she was unbelievable. Right. So she was able to help me and channel me and just, you know, bring me to the football field, bring me to the hockey field, bring me to the baseball field, bring me to Saturday morning basketball. She, She was able to channel my energy, which, Help me. I mean, again, my, my entire family, my uncle died uh, in a, he was driving a three-wheeler and he, he's an alcoholic and he went head first and, he, and, and my, my whole family's known for alcohol. You know, they, they're, they, they're really big into, you know, their booze. And I, unfortunately enough for me, I'm not, and I'm able to channel that addiction to something that is, you know, more productive to society. So I, 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 I credit my mom for all that. It's unbelievable. So she was able to support me through those, through those situations. Thanks, Mama Nicholas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Crazy. So. Um, Jeff, how about you, man? Kind of the same as uh, as Adam. I'm, I'd say kind of that like prove you prove you wrong mentality. I think growing up in St. Louis, and I know we've talked about this on the podcast before. Um, you know, your team specifically would not come down to play against us because you, th- not you, but you're, you're probably your mom and dad, <laughs> your managers or whoever the league thought that St. Louis wasn't good enough to have a trip out here. So for us in St. Louis and for me specifically, is it was always like, well, F that noise. Like I, I think we're good. Like we can be good too. And so like starting at a young age, it was kind of like, well, I'll pr- we'll prove you wrong. We'll prove you wrong. And then every level I went up, it was kind of like, ah, you're all right. Uh, I don't know if you're going to keep going. And I was like, well, good. I'm going to write that on my board. Like in my room, I had a dry erase board and I was like, I will do whatever it was, you know, my goals were, and I will prove you wrong. And I always was a guy, like, I, I love having like things up in my room or like in my car now where I had a couple kids write essays about me in school. Like I have those essays in my car and I'll read them almost every day. And like, I just like using things to give me fuel. I like helping people. Um, I like proving people wrong. I like taking on that kid. That's like the fourth liner who they're like, well, we'll only take him if you work with him. Cause we want him to be better by the end of the summer. And then that kid comes in and he's the most in shape kid on the team. And does that make him a good hockey player? No, but for my business, when you're more in shape than everyone else, your skills can shine through longer than everyone else. So for me, like I love taking on those guys. I love helping people. Um, I think I'm a better coach and a trainer than I was a hockey player. Um, just because, you know, my injuries kind of changed the way I had to play. But I, I knew how I wanted to play, but I wasn't physically able to do it because I kept getting knocked out. Um, so, like, I feel like I can translate those things that I know and, and the little tricks that I picked up to make myself better. And I can give those to the, to the next guys, whether they're guys going to the NHL, AHL, college, 13-year-old kids. I feel like I just can connect with them, and, and I just want to help people. And, and so something about Brandon that he said when you asked him – you know, I lived with Brandon when we were both 18, 19 years old. Uh, we were, we were one year out of high school, uh, playing another year juniors before we went to college and Brandon loved teaching guys things. I mean, he was a snap show. He was hilarious. He was all over the place, but when he was serious about something and he was passionate about something, he loved helping people. Like he helped me learn about nutrition big time. So I think 
probably all three, all four of us on this call all like helping people and like teaching people new things and ways to get better. Yeah, that makes a, it makes a lot of sense. It's funny, like I sit here and I listen to all three of you guys talk and, and uh, there's a lot of similarities, but certainly a lot of differences based on a lot of things. And I knew we were talking about this on the, you know, on this podcast. So I wanted to do a little bit of research on this stuff. And it, for me, as like, honestly, some of it comes down to a little bit of nature versus nurture. Like, I think all of us might have a little bit of like an addictive personality trait if that makes any sense, you know, and like Jeff, like, like Jeff, like, like if you think about it, like Jeff and I's great grandfather. So our grandma's dad, you know, was an alcoholic as well and committed suicide. He was an addict and we've never seen our, uh, our grandmother ever take a drink of, of alcohol because of that. Um, and you know, on my other side, my mom's side, his or her, uh, her dad, my grandfather, you know, he built a business from the ground up and legitimately every time we would go over to his house, like you, we didn't really see grandpa, he was working. Like it was just ridiculous. Um, and just the, the work ethic that he had, he kind of got passed down to my mom. And I feel like, kind of that got passed down to me. So I feel like there's a little bit of that like addictive personality trait that, that I have anyway, and and maybe all four of us do. But at the same time, you know, one thing that we've all talked about is just circumstance and, you know, our, our surroundings, Adam, you talk about, you know, your mom, Brandon, you talk about, you know, your surroundings being in Detroit and having these great role models. You know, for me, it was the same way. Like my family, both sides, mom and dad were obsessed with hockey. Like my uncles played, my dad played, my mom was a manager, my grandfather started in a triple A organization. Like, you know, I think a lot of that has to go into it too. So that kind of like obsession that we have, I think it's a little bit of just something that's kind of like genetically in us. And then fortunate for us, we had surroundings that channeled us towards hockey. And then our, our, our traits were able to kind of get us obsessed with the game. So I don't know what you guys think about that, but uh, that's kind of just something that I was thinking about, you know, even looking at this before, but also just kind of hearing you guys talk too. I'd be really interested to hear somebody smarter than us tell us why people, whether it's nature or nurture or, you know, like, is it the environment that you're brought up in? Is it genetics? Is it a little bit of both? How does that break down? Cause I, I you could fight both sides, right? Like I think there's things that attributes from my family, positive and negative that I've acquired. And then um, just from the environment or, you know, like you said, mentors that you have in your life, um, you know, how you become who you are. It's interesting. Yeah. There's, there's no doubt in my mind that obviously, I mean, Brandon just said the word mentors and, you know, I was always a hard worker, at least what I thought was hard work. Um, growing up started probably around fifth grade is when I started working hard. But when I played for Hastings and juniors, that changed my whole life. Like, that's when I was like, well, if I want to go somewhere, like I need to be not like a hard worker. I need to be the hardest worker all the time at everything I do. And from then on at everything in my life, I was like, I don't want to lose at anything. I w- if I'm going to do something, I want to be the best at it. And that was from playing for Hastings and him mentoring me. And now I've passed that on to my guys. I'm like, if you're coming to the gym, you're going to be the best guy in this gym because that's going to make you the best guy on the ice at the end of summer when you go into tryouts or you go into your team or whatever. And so it's like, Everything we I do and I touch, I want it to be the best. And I know Brandon's the same, and I know you're the same, and I know Dunkin' Donuts is the same over there on the other end of the line. <laughs> Good grief. I love it. Good well, grief. It, 
speaking of that though, like in terms of mentors, I'm glad you brought that up. Like, I, I think there, so many kids have, they, they go into situations in a team where, and players actually go into a situation with a team where that coach actually doesn't give a care about you. He doesn't even care. He doesn't want to yeah. mentor you. He, he's got his little niche. And for me, I think that's the best thing you can do is really find who's going to be a good mentor for your son or yourself. And to me, I was always chasing the league and the team when I was in juniors. Cause I was always told like, but now it's the NCDC or USPHL, whatever the heck it's called. And, uh, and I was chasing the EHL, the, the Eastern junior hockey league. And I wanted to play in that league. Um, and I, I went to the, I had the wrong coach and, uh, I'll give you guys, I think, I, th- I think I told a story before, but like, I, I was like, all right, I'm 20 years old. This guy hasn't done anything for me, but I'll ask him anyways. Hey, you think I can go play at Norwich university? And he's like, Oh yeah, that'd be a great fit. Let me call the coach. Week goes by. Hey, how you call the coach? Yep. They're going to reach out again and schedule a visit. I was like, okay, two weeks go by coach. No visit. Yeah. No, they're going to call me. I, I said, screw it. I'm calling them myself. So I call up Norwich. I'm like, Hey, uh, yeah. Are you guys talk to my coach? Like, no, he never called and I'm like, holy smokes, this is like in February when I'm supposed to be applying to school. This guy's mentoring me, and, and then I, it was like, screw it. I, so I ended up calling uh, Aaron Saul at Elmira. That's when I ended up going to Elmira College. Uh, you know, but I had to do that myself. This guy didn't mentor me. This guy was a really bad mentor, and I'm sitting here as a 20-year-old looking for advice and, and guidance, and I'm just not getting that provided to me. And I, and I paid this guy, it was like six grand to play junior hockey, where you guys played for free in the USHL, but it, it was like $6,000 to play. And my mom had to take out her 401, uh, you know, her her uh, her uh, retirement fund to pay for me to play, which is nuts. So it's, obviously she she wanted to do it for a for a kid, but this is these are the type of mentors that are still out there. Like this stuff still yeah. exists. So you know, Mike Hastings is where he is today. He has all the success he has today because he's a true mentor. The guy the guy is a legit human being, but they're they're hard to find. That's not easy to find out there. And, and for me, a lot, what, the reason, the root of this problem is a lot of guys get into hockey after they're done playing because that's all they know. And they don't have a passion for it anymore. They don't care. And so a lot of people are a byproduct of that. And, and that gets in the way. And that, to me, is a major, major problem in this game. And it's even at the NHL level, it's even at the college level, people that are in the game just because that's what they know. Like, okay, I'll make some money or whatever and put food on the, uh, on the table. But they're not moving the game forward. They're not helping people. And that, that's what this game's about. Yeah. Yeah, for well, sure. Think about it this way, Adam. Go ahead, Brandon. Yeah. I was going to say, think about it this way, Adam, like think of your knowledge of the game, right? Think of the knowledge that you've acquired in the last year, let alone since you stopped playing college hockey. Now imagine coming back after selling cars or working an insurance job, coaching youth. Like, do you know what you're talking about? You'd have absolutely I, no clue. I, like, so no, exactly. what I'm saying is like, if you don't study the game daily or like, like, like I didn't watch the playoffs last night and I'm in Grand Rapids right now and guys are talking about, Hey, did you see that? Like I felt completely out of the loop because I didn't watch two games. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like with what's exactly. going on now, that doesn't get into like tactics and trends and development. But like, if you played 20 years in the NHL and retired five years ago and you've just watched the game on TV once in a while, you'd have absolutely no clue what's going on. It's completely oh, different. <clears throat> I totally so agree with that. You, how can those guys teach, right? Like, how can you, I mean, and we're wired to stay ahead of it because of what we do, but like, I don't know. I, I think every single kid needs a mentor. Every kid needs hope. Uh, adults need hope. I'm 34 years old. I need someone to pat me on the back and be like, you're doing the right things. 
you know, because you got to know which direction you're going. You got to have a plan. You got to have a purpose. So I, I think every kid needs a little bit of hope. Every kid needs someone telling them, you know, some accountability, but also telling them like, hey, you're doing a good job. This is what's allowing you to have success. Like, keep doing this. Keep doing this. Like, they need someone that believes in them. Like, I feel like my answer wasn't good enough after hearing those other two good stories. But like, going back on mentors, like, uh, there's a guy. He's, his name is Bill Hayes. He's a dean of students at Catholic Central, and basically, he's a disciplinarian. Like, when you got in trouble, you went and saw, you went and saw Bill. So in ninth grade, I saw Bill quite a bit, and um, I just I don't know not to get into a therapy session, but I I kind of had like a chip on my shoulder with teachers growing up. Not as much coaches. Um, I just like, it, like there, there was one teacher I loved in fourth grade and it was cause she cared like everyone else. It was like, uh, you know, whatever happened in their day, I don't know. Cause I was a grade school kid, but like they brought it to school and they kind of took it out on the kids. And I wasn't a fan of that, but when you're 12 years old, you can't tell the teacher how you feel or you're labeled a, a punk. And I probably, uh, not probably, I was a punk. Um, so I, so Bill Hayes is the one that was like, listen, like you got a good heart. Like you're thinking the right way. You got to learn how to deal with people. Why do you want to go in and give attitude back to the ninth grade English teacher? Why don't you go in and, you know, bring her an apple, bring her some flowers, like make her feel good about herself and see how she, she treats you after. Right. So like, I, I feel like when you make the conscious effort to, you know, per the advice, whatever it may be of a mentor, like when you make the conscious effort to, to spend time with people and get to know them, I think people shut down their walls and you know, that's when it's easier to, to deal with everybody. Right. And then make educated decisions on your future going forward and you know, who you want to spend your time and energy on. So. Well, it makes a lot of sense just kind of like what you guys are saying. And, and, you know, and in terms of like being obsessed with something, you know, it could be anything. Maybe you just need a mentor that guides you to that, you know, to whatever it is that you're passionate about, you know, like getting you involved in a lot of different things when you're younger. And then eventually you'll find that thing. They're like, Hey, I really enjoy doing this. And now, now I'm ready to go. Now I'm ready to put everything I have into it. Right. So like, I think probably a lot of that job is, is, you know, a mentor or a parent or whoever it may be to just kind of steer that ship, allow you to go through things, allow you to have experiences at a very broad level. And then finally you'll find it and be like, okay, that's it. Let's do it. Let's go. Like, do you guys think there's any validity to that? No, I do. No, I, I think there's, there's plenty of that, of that, but what I also think too, and I, I, I look around my watch and observe a lot of different scenarios when it comes to mentorship and passion and, and drive, right? And I think a lot of people are scared of passionate people because they're the ones actually trying to move something forward, right? And when they are, you got everybody out there trying to tear it down because they're putting themselves out there and being vulnerable in, in situations, right? Like you see it all the time in social media, but I saw it with my coaches where I was, I, I was like, for me, like I was very passionate. I, I was rah, rah guy, you know, and I loved it. And I, I could, I could play and, and coaches didn't like that because they knew that I had a strong opinion voice in, in the room and they, they were scared of it. So they, they were trying to repress it. They tried to move it away. They, for me, it's, it's like, how do you handle those situations? Right? Like, how do you handle those people? To me, those people are intriguing to me um, that have that passion. And a lot of people don't know how to handle that. So they, they push those people aside, but those people for me that have that passion and, and they want to move things forward. If I'm a leader, I look at that and be like, all right, <clears throat> how can we use that to our best advantage? And how can I mentor this person so that they're not over the top, uh, with what they're doing, but they know how to, they, they can really move us forward. And, and to me, everybody's scared of that. They're scared of having to 
work with somebody with that kind of a passion and emotion because them themselves don't have it. So they think you're an outlier. They think you're different. They, they, they don't like different. They don't want change that, that drastically. And it happens at the highest levels a lot. I mean, I, I dealt with myself. So it's, it's really to me, when you get a group of people together and you have someone that's passionate, okay, how do you take that passion that, and that will and that drive to move something forward and channel it the right way so that we can all use that energy as a fire to move us forward and, and move us to the next level. And a lot of people are afraid of that. Love that. I, I, I see that all the time with kids. I mean, I don't know how much you guys are working with kids when you see that, that type of thing, but you know, you find that kid who's like so passionate and gets to the rink early and stays late stretching. And you know, he's shooting 150 pucks every night in his basement and he's stick handling, he's watching hockey. And, you know, I've, I coached a couple kids like that this past year. And it always seemed like people were picking on those kids, like whether it was like out of fun, like they're trying to be fun, but they are kind of making fun of them. But yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's coming from a place of like kind of jealousy. Like I wish I could put myself out there that much. Like I wish that I could allow myself to be vulnerable. And I think a big thing with the, the kids are, and, and I'm sure adults too in the, in the working world is that they're afraid to fail. So they don't want to put themselves out there with what they're passionate about because they're like, if I go a hundred percent all in on this and I don't make the cut, like I'm going to be sad. But for me, I've always told everyone that I work with, like, it's the opposite. You're going to look back in five, 10, 15, 20 years and be like, God, that's what I love to do. And I had so much passion for it, but I was embarrassed or too scared to be all in and go all in because now I'm looking back and I'm like, man, where could I have taken myself? So I, everyone I'm around, I try and say like, whatever it is. And you know, it's hockey because that's the business I'm in and and training for hockey. It's give it everything. You have a short window for hockey to do this, like be passionate, be obsessed, like be all in let the cards fall where they may and you decide like how far you can take yourself. And it's not going to be limited by you not trying or you not caring or you being embarrassed about what anyone thinks. And like real quick, funny story. Cause we were talking about this the other day. Like, you know, for me, I, I, like I said on this podcast, wasn't the most naturally um, skilled guy like the other guys on this podcast probably, but like always a hundred percent. And so I remember going to the bar, like my first few years pro with the boys in the summer. And for me, it was like, I'm at the bar, like, okay, maybe I'll have a couple adult drinks. Maybe I won't. Sometimes I did. Sometimes I didn't. But like, I carried around protein in my pocket. So like we'd go to the bar and I would have deli meat in my pocket and I would get ripped on all the time. Oh God, like you can't just relax. And I'm like, no, I'm not missing a meal. I'll go out with the boys and I'll have fun. But I got my vegetables in my deli meat in my pocket. And guess what? I go to NHL camp. I win all the testing and I played more games than everyone else in training camp. So because of I was in shape. So it's like for me being obsessed, got me to where I needed to be to then try and accomplish the things I wanted to. So like being obsessed is a good thing as long as it's healthy. Well, I find, I find, I find a lot of, we talk about being a leader all the time. And I'll be honest, a lot of, a lot of times I just see a bunch of followers in our game. And, I, and that, that really bothers me a lot because a lot of people just, they, they don't want to, you know, state an opinion and they, and they don't want to move forward. They don't want to push forward. Like, you know, I, I deal with it on the camp side and I'm sure, you know, Brandon deals with this in, in his business as well, but parents will see two or three kids leave and they'll be like, Oh, well, I'm going to go follow them. I mean, it happens in the Detroit youth game as it is, where kids just move like sheep. 
they're herded around by the parents and moved around like like they're sheep, and it happens happens here. And you got a you got a core group of players that everybody wants to follow around, and, and that's where it stems from, right? Like it's not passion; it's it's now just becoming keeping up with the Joneses, and and that's really what what goes on with that is you know guys go out. And I'll, I'll be honest, I mean, the reason guys are going out is because they want to hang out and take a break. But other guys are going out, even though they don't want to, they're going to go out because they just want to be a part of, of the, the culture and the situation, right? And, and for me, like, you can still be part of the culture. You don't have to go out with the boys and have, you know, uh, you know, funny stories to tell in the locker room afterwards. You, you, can, you can still be a part of that culture, even if you don't want to go out at night and, and do those things that you don't want to do. But you, you kind of peer pressured into that because now you feel like you're not a part of the team, right? And you're like, oh, I'm not a part of the team. So I, I you know, and then, then all of a sudden the, the players will tell the coach, oh, yeah, he didn't go out. And the coach starts formulating these opinions as if you're not in it for the team. And that to me is the wrong, the wrong situation. That's the wrong men- mentality. And, and for me, like, oh, he's on his own page. He's on his own page. They like to label. Our game is such a labeling uh, you know, environment that it really drives a lot of passion out of people. It drives a lot of new, innovative uh, things out of people, right? And and that's to me is where we've got to really focus our energy and and really start learning how to deal with certain uh, different people and in, in to mold them into a culture that might not be, hey, we go all together, we we do this together, we do this together. You don't have to do everything together, right? Like you, even though you wish they did, but you can mold that passion somewhere else. Yeah, that's uh, that's really interesting. Well, let me let me ask you guys this question. You know, Adam, you specifically talked about it. You know, in terms of you know the keeping up with the Joneses. Like, I feel like there's a lot of just people who are very very insecure. Like Jeff, you have to be very secure with who you are to carry around deli meat in your pocket on the way to go to the bar. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, and uh, and so like, how do we? Because it is one of the problems that, and we've talked about it on the podcast before. One of the problems that I think as mentors, as coaches we have is, is teaching kids to not care about what other people think about them. There's so many different avenues within social media and this keeping up with the Joneses mentality where everybody is just kind of worried about what other people are doing and what other people are thinking. They have to keep up with the Joneses. So like, what can we do as coaches? What can we do as mentors to help kids be confident in themselves, to help kids and even coaches and parents be confident in the process of, of, of whatever it is that's right for the kids. You know what I mean? You could start a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> start a podcast and bring people like you guys on to actually answer the questions because we don't have the answers. We just have the questions. So we'll, we'll leave this to you. Why don't, why don't you go, Nar, since you, since you brought it up? <laughs> I just can't imagine 100 to 1,000 youth hockey parents in a room and just bringing people on stage that get it and just answer questions. I think it'd be so powerful. I think it'd be so powerful because everything that a youth parent's complaining about, they're right. So what are you going to do? You got to find a solution. Well, here's the solutions. And then there might not be one in your area. So you might have to move from St. Louis to Detroit or Detroit to, to Maine or whatever. Right. But like the grass isn't always greener and kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier, like Jeff, Adam, Topher, have you ever met anyone that's a high performing person or successful in anything that isn't afraid to fail? Nope. No. Like, I can't think of no, anybody that's like, that has an insecure personality. Like, like, that doesn't mean you don't work hard. Like, there's people that 
are afraid to fail that work hard, but like that's pressure. That's playing in front of 10,000 people. That's going and negotiating a contract with the CEO of the company. And you're the new guy fresh out of college. Like if you put the work in, if you're prepped, if you're on your stuff, you're not nervous because you believe in it. And if they don't, somebody else will. So like, and I don't think this is arrogant at all, but like if, if you're the best, you know, lawyer coming out of Harvard law school or whatever, and you go to this big law firm and they look at you like, listen, kid, like take a step back. Like it's your first year. Like you don't get it. No, I do get it. And I think I can help. Right. And if they say no, well, the, the, the forward thinking growth mindset CEO of the other law firm, he's going to take you on. He might have to reel you back a little bit and say, Hey, Hey kid, like it's your first year. Like I need you to start here. You need to learn the, the grunt work first before you take the big steps. Cause it's important 10 years down the road, but let's go. I feel like there's so much information out there now that things happen quicker. Like, um, I mean, even in hockey, like, uh, it's, it's, is it the good old boys network? Sure. It's always going to be right. Because there's trust there, but like, you know, look at college hockey and, and, and the ages of the coaches, you know, like the Chicago Blackhawks and, um, you know, a 33 year old coach, like, I don't care if someone's 33 or 73, if they can relate to the players, they can execute on the plan and get them to buy in. You're a good coach. Right. And then, and then obviously they're judged on winning games, but like, it all comes down to what you do every day. What time do you wake up? What time do you go to bed? Are you mapping out your, you know, not, not even goals, but like, do you have a purpose for today that when you go to bed, you're like, I had a good day. Or do you just wake up, look at Facebook, look at Twitter on Instagram, play online poker, and then start your day. And it's like, oh, what am I going to do? And now you're all over the map and you wonder what's going on with your life six years down the road. Like, what's your purpose? What gets you, what's your why? Why do you get up every day? Right. And then it's going to change, but, but that's your, that, that's the adjustments you make and plans always change, but like you have a plan, you have an end goal in mind. Right. And I, I think if, if kids could get anything like, the total plug but like matt calderoni was on the podcast like and i've talked to him quite a bit over the last few months like man every kid needs a resilience coach because and even if you have the greatest resilience coach it needs to be you know like adam's talking about his mom and his upbringing and you know i know mrs lavecchio and you know like like the things that were said in that environment no excuses and you can always be better and, and, and pushing forward like like you need that at home more than anything. And, and unfortunately not all kids have that at home, but if you don't, you got to find somebody, a big brother, a coach, a teacher, somebody to look up to and somebody to follow. Um, I just think it's everything, but like you can have all the skill in the world. You can bench press 500 pounds, squat a thousand pounds. Like if you can't, if you're not you know, handling resilience well or not learning to fail forward, you have absolutely no chance absolutely no chance because how can you lead others if your stuff's not together minute to minute every day if you don't have your stuff together how can, how can you tell anyone else what to do unless you've done it yourself from filling the bottles to standing in the middle of the bench and calling out the lines and everything in between you have to so well it's interesting that you say that rant. no i love it it's interesting that you say that and it kind of goes back to what a lot of us talked about just kind of like why we're obsessed and there's a little or big part of each and every one of us that wanted to prove people wrong and in order to prove people wrong, you got to get knocked down a peg or two, whether that's something that's in your control or something that's outside of your control. Um, and, and that's where that kind of like resilience coach, like you talk about comes in. So like, what, what is it? I mean, Adam, you kind of shared a story about your childhood and, and Jeff, you know, about playing in St. Louis, but like, what else is it? Like, why, like, why do we just like in the four of us in this conversations, why, you know, what is it about 
wanting to prove people wrong and building that resiliency. And I remember Adam, when we had, uh, you know, Joe Gambardell on our podcast, that was one of the pointed questions that he asked. It was like, what, what makes you have your sandpaper? Like, you know, what happened? What, what scars do you have that has allowed you to, um, be good? Because that's not the typical question, right? The typical question is if you're looking at reality and you're looking at kind of like just whatever, like what scars got you down? But no, 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 no. Let's flip that. What scars made you into the great person that you are today? Right? So like, what was it about your guys's childhood? What was it about your guys's scar? What kind of scars do you have allowed you to become great? You know? No, for me, I mean, the scar, the scars, it, it goes really deep. Like for me, when I, when I was growing up, like I, I was very, it wasn't like cocky and, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like, you know, I, I, I thought I was better than everybody else, but I, I, I wanted to be better than everybody else every day. And I, and I told everybody all the time, like, let's go. I want to be better. I want to be better. And a lot of people don't want to be better right? They don't. And, and it's, uh, that is the reality and the truth. They really don't want to be better and they don't want to be pushed. And they say they do, but then when push comes to shove, they don't want to be, but I did. And, and for me, like every time I would do that, you know, there'd be a lot of people around me that aren't like, and so I'm like, well, whatever, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to keep plugging. I'm not going to back down. And, and so I saw that. I noticed that when I was playing that there were so many people that just truly aren't like me. And the people that, you know, made a D one without that around me, they were just, they, they had connections. I saw the way those parents worked and, and it really is disgusting. And I, and I will say this. Okay. And it does go on and I've seen it. Okay. I will say this to get to some levels. There is a lot of narcissistic and political behavior that goes on. It does. And I don't care. Everybody can deny it. They're lying. They're absolute liars. So they want to, they don't want to admit the fact that they, uh, you know, came down to that level, but they have, and I've seen it, uh, you know, guys that I was better than I saw go D one. And it was strictly because the coach liked them and he loved his parents. So that coach worked his tail off for him. And he so happened to be able to talk into someone's ear to get them there. And that drives me crazy. That really, really upset me personally. Uh, and that is a really big scar tissue to me to this day. And I still see it go on to this day. And that still drives me. and It really grinds my gears like really badly. And it, it honestly makes me so angry that I, I, I want to really make a stand for that and, and do something for that where the right kids are actually getting placed where they need to get placed. And just because of who your dad or, your, or that coach likes that coach or this coach, and that's why this kid's getting a chance he might not be the right kid. And that's why you see the decommits. That's why you see the transfers. It's seriously a big time problem. And it, and it, that's what draw, that's the scar tissue that drives me because at the end of the day, there, there was a lot of kids that I know, like to this day, I still know like I was better than I didn't, I didn't get a D one opportunity. They did. And to me, it's like, that would have been a life changing experience. These, these coaches don't understand the life changing experiences that they're going to provide these kids. They really truly don't understand like a kid going to Colby uh, college or a kid going to St. A's. I'm just using these two schools, but that's a big lifetime after hockey situation. They don't understand. It's bigger than hockey. This is setting a kid up for life. And that really, really bothers me. That's the spark that drives me to keep providing. Even if you go to the guy to the NHL and they've got this guy that gets drafted high and they're like, Oh, you should never got drafted that high. 
and and everybody starts to rip on him, even in his own city and his own coaching staff, because now they don't think he's that good. I'm like, I want to help this. This is the scar tissue that that my old scar tissue builds up, and I want to push that player forward. I want to give them every resources and every ounce of energy that I have to try to get them and, and prove people wrong. And so that's when that's when that scar tissue grinds with me. It, it honestly stems from the political and, and narcissistic type behavior that goes on in our game that I want to shut down. And you see that even at the brass level, at the highest levels where people are getting jobs just because of who, what they did prior to, or who they know, you see it all the time. And it's disgusting. Like how if you seriously got to, if you go back to, to psychology, they always talk about, you know, when, if your dad builds a $4 billion, your family builds a $4 billion business, the likelihood of your kids, building that keeping that business at the level of which the person that built it at is sustainable it's not it's it's been proven over and over and over again so the fact is if you're a, a ceo and you're going to go hire your kid to be an elite manager just because they're your kid you're not doing your your kid any disservice you're not doing your kid the service that he needs to be done and you're not doing yourself you're not providing the 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 ability that you should be providing uh with the resources you have at, at those levels so that to me is a big scar tissue for me well, it's interesting that you say that because like, yeah, the studies that you're referring to, like wealth skips a generation because, you know, when you have a parent that's wealthy, they tend to do things for you as opposed to, you know, allowing you to do things and figure stuff out. And, and, uh, I, I, I totally agree. So Jeff, I think you had something there too. Yeah. Well, um, well, just like why for me is I got cut from uh, a team when I was in like fourth grade, third grade. And I was like, I never want to feel this feeling again. And I remember sitting in the car crying and my parents were like, well, if you don't want to feel this feeling again, like do more, like be more, work harder, like work smarter, like do all those things. And I wound up not making select 15, like a few years later. And that was the other time that I got cut and that fueled me even more. So like those two things on top of like me getting made fun of my whole life for being like super skinny when I was a kid by our whole family, like that obviously messed with my head big time. And that's what got me into working out. And then I found out like working out will make me better at hockey. So those two just synergistically went together. And so for me, those were probably like the two biggest things um, that, that, that have pushed me. And then now it's just trying to help people the way that, I, I wish I had somebody like a Brandon Dorado, like a Topher Scott, like an Adam Nicholas. I wish I had someone when I was younger telling me the right things to do, not just like telling me what to do, kind of like the blind leading the blind, like someone who is knowledgeable, who knows how to help people uh, uh, reach their goals. And for us, it's hockey. Um, I want to be that person for, for people in St. Louis because there weren't really too many people like that growing up for me. So for me, I'm like, I want to be that guy. And, um, it's super rewarding. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I won't lie. Like I love money too. And, I, and so like, for me, it's awesome that I get to do this as a job, as a career. Um, you know, I don't want to do anything else. Like when I, when I signed my first contract and I got paid to play hockey, I was like, all right, like, I can't see myself wearing a suit. That's not me. I will never go into a job and wear a suit and sit in an office every day. So for me, I was like, I've got to be the best hockey player I can be and play as long as I can. And then that turned into now I want to be the best trainer, mentor, mental, physical coach that I can be because I don't want to wear a suit. I want to be able to do this every day for the rest of my life. Yeah. Awesome. How about you, Nar? I... 
statements. I, I, I don't know. Like I, like if I got cut when I was younger, I just want to make the better team. You play double A for three years and you want to make the triple A team and you think it's a huge jump. I, I was lucky. Like I didn't get cut until, uh, my first year after my first year in Cedar Rapids, I got a call in like July that, uh, they picked up somebody else and you're gone. So I tell, I tell kids this story all the time. Like when I, like the reason I got to Omaha is Jeff, Jeff Lurk's dad, Ken Lurk, Jeff and I played on a roller hockey regional Narch tournament together. I think I had like, I don't know. I'm I'm giving my roller hockey stats, but I had like 25 (laughs) goals in like five games. Like I think I had a good weekend. All right. Roller hockey tournament. Sweet bro. So, so, so Ken Lurd calls Mike Hastings and is like, Hey, Narrators got cut from Cedar Rapids. He was a stud this weekend in roller hockey. Like this kid can <laughs> score. Like you got to pick him up. I swear to God. So, That's you know, awesome. then you go to Omaha and you know, you know, I, I've told that story before, but like, that was like my end. I didn't go to Omaha's camp. They didn't, they did, I didn't go to some tournament in, in Boston and pay $4,000 or t- tournament in Italy or Czech Republic. And when I was nine years old to get scouted by somebody, like I played in a roller hockey tournament cause I thought it was fun. And man, did I have a big weekend? And I guess that helped me to uh, get a spot on Omaha. And then you go to the first day and now you got to prove yourself. So it didn't, it didn't mean anything, but like I, I got another chance, right? Like I was, hundred percent prepared to go play in the North American league, you know, junior a in Canada, junior B in Canada. Like I, I just wanted a chance to play. Like I was fighting the fight my first year. I did okay to, you know, even a little bit less than that. And I wanted to prove myself and I tricked everybody. I had two good months in the USHL and uh, committed to Michigan. And like uh, Adam said, so, you know, now you got an opportunity to graduate and build relationships at a school like that. And you're good to go. So, but you get that chance because, you know, hopefully at, at that age, you do some things right and, you know, you get a little bit lucky too. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, let me ask you guys this because we got about 10 minutes left before we got to head out of here. Um, you know, all four of us have built or are building businesses within the hockey world. And, you know, having done this with the hockey think tank for the past year or so, you learn a lot, you know, like as, as hockey players, we had a process to get us to kind of where we, uh, where we got to, um, but certainly building a business and being an entrepreneur um, is is similar in a lot of those aspects in in terms of what you need to do and how you need to do things to be successful. So you know, I'll ask the three of you guys, and Adam, maybe I'll start with you first. You know, what did you take from your growing up and and what you learned in the hockey world that has allowed you to um, kind of build the Stride Envy business to to what it is today? Well, I like, you know, like we kind of recap everything we did, but I mean, it's, it's honestly like coming from nothing. It's, it, it really helped me, you know, want to get to a level uh, where I am today, my own personal career. Like I, I wanted to be successful, right? I, I didn't come from a lot of successful people in terms of, in terms of financially, right? Like my mom's a huge success story and, and my grandmother too, like they, they, they've overcome a lot of different adversities in their life to, to even be where they are today but I wanted to take that to the next level and, and try to be financially, uh, you know, stable as well. But also I, I wanted to love what I do. Like I, I saw my mom work every day and like, she had a true passion for what she did. She did it to put, you know, food on the table for me. And I, I wanted to, to love what I do. I wanted to have that passion and I love hockey and I'm obsessed with helping people. And that's what my mom did, does too. She helps people. So that's stemmed down to me. But and when you get down to it, it's honestly all about helping people 
and guiding them and, and trying to maximize every single person you come in in contact with to get them to their level. I don't care who you are. Like, no, I mean, honestly, no joke. I, you know, my nickname when I was at Elmira College was the mayor of the school, like, cause I, I love everybody. I, I really do. I, I truly like to uh, interact and try to help people and, and hang out with people. Even when I was in high school, I would literally talk to everybody, even the kids that would get bullied. I, I would stick up for them. I really would. And, and I would be there with them and, and I would talk to them. And, and all of a sudden the kid would never get bullied again because of my status. Right. Like I, I, I was in with everybody, every single person I ever come in contact. I went to three high schools and I, I was always in with the popular kids and I was always being able to balance the entire situation around me with everybody there to, to really help and guide. Right. Like that was my strength. And I, I took it from that and I, I do what I do today. And, and that's really what stems down to, to the nit and gritty of what I do. Awesome. How about you, Nar? Um, in regards to TPH, I mean, like, I think everything happens for a reason, not to like get into the whole story, but I just saw something, I saw something in Detroit that it wasn't like, oh, this is so, so wrong. Like I really didn't have a clue at the time, but I I just didn't think it was as good as it could be. You know, I heard the rumors of kids are jumping around and uh, going to different teams. Here's this skill guy. He's doing this. He's the best in the world. Here's this guy. He's doing this. He's the best in the world. And then I'd see it and I'm like, man, there's, there's like a huge opportunity here to do it right. So similar to what Adam's saying, like, you know, I like, I liked having an impact in young people's lives or people in general um, and being some type of mentor, big or small. But I think, you know, like even gosh, a guy, like it's not like I'm pumping his tires, but um, I'll make fun of him when we get off the call. Uh, like Adam, like growing up, his mom's got to take a 401k out to Fort hockey. I take pride in, and I don't want people to know who or when or why. I'm not giving the the superstar hockey 14-year-old a free ride to our summer camp. I'm giving the kid who his dad works three jobs just so he can pay for it. I'm telling him, don't worry about it. I'll take care of him. Right, And then watching those guys play junior hockey and get drafted and play Division One, where like they were playing double A at the time or high school hockey. And like that's what I take pride in is like that's something that you've had a direct impact on the kids put in the work. He's taken everything you've given them, but you gave him an opportunity that he didn't have. And it's, it's not just financial, but like, I just wanted to provide value. Whether you charge a dollar for a camp or your time or a million dollars, when people left, they, they were, they're pointing at, at, at me or, my, or our staff and saying like, these guys do it the right way. They provide value. They, they care about the kids. They're not telling what you, what you want to hear. And like, I kind of came out like guns a blazing right away. Like you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. This is how it should be done. And, and, and a lot of parents were like, they didn't like it. And great. Now I don't have to waste my energy with you and take phone calls talking about how little Johnny's getting screwed by every coach. He's not getting screwed. He doesn't love hockey. doesn't love to work hard. And, and little Johnny ended up quitting hockey two years later. Other people took that advice. They stepped up, they put in the work and you know, now they're playing wherever. Right. So it's just about providing value, doing it the right way. And not to like talk too much or get into my story, but like, I want people to hear that, like, like starting the first online Academy in the U S was freaking hard. Like, it's really hard. You want to talk about like people telling you, you can't do something. Not only were we starting an Academy that wasn't around, I had to sell people an online school. So I was meeting with superintendents and principals and teachers and learning about online curriculums and and reading books on why this is a better education, because how can I sell it to another parent if I wouldn't send my own kid there? 
like how like and it's not for everybody just like the ohl is better for some versus ncaa and there it's it's gray there's no right or wrong but like i i had to educate myself on that stuff you know and then you can't do it you can't do it you can't do it um i, I i'm the same way i want to prove people wrong but I, I don't know if just proving people wrong is as much as it is just saying like this this is what i'm going to do because I've, i'm going to manifest it and i got my mind to something and a goal and i'm going to hit it and even the goals that i didn't hit something else came up from it right a, probably a better goal um so that's what it's about it's uh you know building a business building a family uh you, you know whatever it is. like it's hard man marriage is hard business is hard hockey like but like you have to enjoy it and you got to communicate with people you got to provide value and you have to do things the right way and if you do that and you can put your head on the pillow every night like good things are going to happen to you and when they don't you have to learn from it and you fail forward you know that's and it's easy to say like but like you can hear a coach or a teacher say fail forward fail forward and like until you start realizing like man this didn't work out like how can i make it better like to me i see an angle in everything like there's always a solution right and maybe that's the optimist in me but like there's always a solution to every problem and and all three or all four of us have, but if you've ever run a business and, and the TPH is small, small potatoes compared to bigger business in this world, like there's a fire every single day. So be as prepared as you can, knowing that you're going to walk into a fire, clean it up as opposed to I'm unprepared. Then things happen and they snowball and now you're in big trouble. And then the last thing I would say is in my business is a little different than, than you guys. Cause you're kind of doing it on your own. And I, and I envy that the, 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 the best and hardest thing I've ever had to do is, is, is work, like empower other people and, and train a staff, train a staff to do it the way that I think it should be done and, and work with them on it. And, and, and to, to what Jeff said earlier, not snap, be supportive. Um, but then fire good buddies or, uh, or hire people that, I wasn't sure on or whatever, and I've made mistakes and I've done things right. And if anyone's ever, <laughs> anyone that has worked for me in the past is listening to this, like uh, they should know that I've gotten better every day. And, uh, but I 100% believe in every decision I've made because there's been a ton of thought process into it. And, and I had a big talk with our kids at the school the other day, and I know I'm going on a rant, but like we talk about failing forward and earning it and doing your thing, like, like go do it because nobody cares that Adam Nicholas or Jeff Lebecki will wake up at 5 a.m. and work out or drink 64 ounces of cold brew, as good as it tastes. Nobody <laughs> cares and nobody knows that Topher Scott's watched 17 hours of video yesterday after he put his daughter to bed. All they know is that Topher Scott got a new job and he must be doing it right, or Adam Nicholas is working with this guy, or Jeff Lebecki is training this guy. By the time we get credit for anything, we're already on to four other things. Like, that, that's just what's expected. So true. Right? You have to be obsessed with what you're doing. Like, 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 uh, I'm name dropping, but I don't even know the guy, but like, you know, Adam works with Daryl Belfry all the time. Well, how do I know Daryl Belfry from YouTube six years ago? And I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. And it was, but what I didn't know until I kept doing my research on people that are the industry leaders is what I saw six years ago. He did four years prior. So can you imagine what he was on to? Man, I got to catch up, Right. You know, but then you look at guys like, oh, God, this guy's got it figured out as a teacher, as a business owner, as, as, as a dad. Like, how can I learn from him? You know, I was talking to a guy in CVS the other day. He's got a 10-year-old boy. Man, you're six years ahead of me. There's a lot to learn. And you can take information from everybody. 
it doesn't need to be a CEO of a company. I can learn from a might coach just as much as I can learn from an NHL coach. It's all about managing people. So I know I'm going in a bunch of different directions, but like my advice is like, if you want anything, go get it and put the work in and keep going, keep going, keep going. It's going to come. It's going to come. And it might lead to something even better, but like anyone that's got excuses or procrastinating, you have absolutely no chance. Absolutely (laughs) no chance. So figure it out. Good luck. No, I mean, that makes so much sense, man. I mean, at the end of the day, business leaders and and people who, you know, even sports, like they're just, it goes back to it. Like, don't be afraid to fail. Just do it. Like this world is run by doers. And I bet you all four of us can do an entire podcast an hour long on things that we've done that we would do differently. But like you said, like, yeah, we, we did it and we made mistakes. We learned from it. And then maybe another door opened because of it. So I just, uh, I, I just think that's such valuable information and, and, uh, no, I appreciate it, guys. Like, I thought this was awesome. I think getting into kind of our stories here and, and talking about how to become obsessed and all the things that come along the way. And, and I feel like this is like a microcosm of a lot of the podcasts that we've had before because I feel like it always comes back to like that resiliency thing. Like you have to not be afraid to fail and you have to learn. And you have to be resilient to be successful and happy in this world. And uh, I love the fact that it seems like every single one of our podcasts comes back to it. And, you know, for us, I think one of the other things that we've learned from this episode is you got to have people kind of uh, along the way that that help you to understand that adversity and resiliency is something that's really really important to becoming successful fulfilled all that kind of stuff so um thank you guys so much for taking the time it was awesome that we got the four of us on a call here together sounds Absolutely, good man. thanks guys you me on yeah love y'all boys go have a good day and make people better